Welcome to our latest webinar for corporates. In this series, we'll be examining recent events and looking ahead at what might be in store for financial markets and the economy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the July version of the FX webinar, and hopefully this will be uh, an interesting review of the second quarter and a look ahead to the rest of the year. Um, so I'm going to kick things straight off because we've got a lot to get through. Uh, we'll look quickly at the contents of my presentation, uh, which uh, we'll start off, I think, on a slightly um, downbeat note in terms of the rising uh, COVID infection rates. But it does seem as if the vaccination programme, not just in the UK, but across uh, the whole of the Western world, does seem to be breaking the link between COVID infections and serious illness, hospitalisation and death. Um, so there is some positives there. And, and it looks as if the UK is on course for full unlocking on the 19th of July. Um, as far as uh, then the, the economic outlook will focus again on the PMI numbers, which have been reporting robust economic recovery. Uh, and we'll see what that means in terms of uh, overall uh, economic growth of 2021 and beyond. Then we'll look at uh, a specific issue, which is the change that we've seen from the Federal Reserve before turning our attention again to inflation, because inflation is still uh, of issue for our client base um, but seemingly less of an issue for the uh, central banks before uh, then turning to foreign exchange market forecasts, what we saw into the end of Q2 and what Q3 might have in store. So without further ado, let's go on to the first slide um, with regard to COVID infection rates. You can see here that um, we've had a, a series of peaks as far as COVID infections. The uh, last peak that we saw in Europe is now uh, well over two, three months ago. Um, but the peak that we're seeing, oh, the renewed rise in infections in the UK is down to the Delta variant, which was first identified in India. Um, now, that would normally, by the time that we reach these sorts of levels uh, of infections, be leading to a significant rise in hospitalizations and deaths. You have seen a limited rise in hospitalizations, but we're a mile away from where we were previously. So you're looking at around um, 20 times fewer hospitalizations th than we were getting at this point in the, the, the cycle, uh, in the previous cycle with regard to COVID. So that is the, the, the positive news here. The other positive news is that we're seeing very low levels of incident as far as both in infections and also deaths um, across other Western economies. So the, the, the positive news from our perspective is that that link seems to have been weakened. It hasn't necessarily been broken, but it does seem to have been severely weakened by the vaccination programme. Um, the other point that I would uh, throw into the mix here as well is that uh, clearly for a, a number of economies, they still have restrictions in situ. Um, the one economy that doesn't is the US across uh, a vast majority of states now. They've basically returned to normal and there hasn't been the reintroduction um, of COVID to, to any great degree. But that may also be down to um, the border restrictions that are in situ, not just in the US, but across the world. Um, so I think one of the things that's helping prevent renewed spike in some of these countries and some of these economies is down to the border restrictions, which is, is following the path that we've seen in the likes of Australia and New Zealand. 
So if we move on to the next slide and, and look at what the PMIs are telling us, now one would expect that after the initial spike in economic activity, the sort of post-pandemic, post-unlocking spike, that you'd see things settle down. And that does seem to be the case with regard to both the manufacturing and services PMIs, although more so on services where we see things flattening out than on, than on manufacturing. And I think the reason that the manufacturing PMIs haven't flattened is because demand seemingly has recovered a lot more quickly than supply chains. And so that's why you're still seeing uh, new highs being reached on a month-by-month -month basis with regard to manufacturing activity. Now, if they maintain that momentum, uh, then will that make a change as far as thinking from the Bank of England, the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank? I think it already has to a degree. I think we've, we've started to see both the European Central Bank and the Bank of England talk about the reduced need for additional stimulus and the potential for them to start ratcheting back on their weekly asset purchases. For the Federal Reserve, the bar is set a lot higher uh, because they've adopted a, an average inflation target. So even though inflation is significantly above target, because it has spent so many months, quarters and years below target, they feel that they can actually withstand at least a, a prolonged period of above target inflation for the, uh, the next year or so. Um, the signs of, of strain in the global supply chain ought to be alleviated because if demand stays as strong as this, then we expect supply chains to be spun up and, and increased in activity in order to meet that demand over time. But it's just a question of time um, being not on the side of, of those that want their goods now. Uh, and so there's a premium to be paid for that. If we move on to the next slide, and this is where this is. Uh, what we're talking about with regard to the um, uh, Federal Reserve's change of thinking. So the Federal Reserve uh, are still saying that they're going to keep interest rates on hold until 2023. But when they do raise interest rates, they're going to raise interest rates not once but twice. Now, this only really brings the Federal Reserve into line with what the markets were thinking anyway. Um, they still believe that the the, the rise in inflation that's seen headline inflation rates at multi-year highs and, and, and core inflation rates at multi-decade highs uh, as temporary. They see it as being driven by those supply chain disruptions. Um, and, and even two increases only takes the Federal Reserve back to levels that we were seeing in, in, in 2019. Um, I don't think that we will see a significant further uh, increase in rate HUD expectations as far as the Federal Reserve is concerned. They're pretty comfortable about where things are. Uh, th the difference between the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England and European Central Bank is that neither the BOE or ECB have adopted this average inflation target. And that could mean actually that whilst expectations of interest rate hikes in the UK and in Europe at the moment are beyond where the Federal Reserve started in increasing interest rates, the Bank of England and European Central Bank might ha have to act more quickly than the Fed because they haven't adopted that average inflation target. But it will depend on activity indicators. It will also depend on the recovery of labour markets. The labour markets are still the area where the most lasting scarring, the most lasting damage has been uh, observed. Moving on to commodity prices and uh, another uh, area where we're, we're seeing 
issues of concern. Don't compare this with what we saw in 2020 because that was affected um, in, in a, a pandemic scenario. Go back to 2019 and where are we there? Well, one, one can observe that for things like oil prices and uh, for, for uh, timber and lumber prices, we are higher than we, we were pre-pandemic. Um, this is probably most obvious in lumber futures, um, which are something like 60% higher than where we were uh, prior to the pandemic. Uh, it's less observable with regard to things like the, uh, the, uh, the wider CRB index. The CRB index, um, which is on the second right-hand chart, is really uh, only modestly above where it was prior to the pandemic. And also other elements of, of the futures market suggest that there is less long-term inflation within commodity prices, which is one of the reasons why I think we've seen central banks uh, showing limited concern towards the rising commodity prices that has been observed. The issue is, where, as I say, whether or not demand continues to pick up. And there are, there are some indications as well that the amount of energy uh, that is going to be required in order to meet supply between the supply and demand imbalance um, will lead to oil prices remaining elevated for a longer period of time. Uh, the other factor involved here is the fact that the um, the, the uh, oil industry is finding it difficult to uh, to, to finance uh, because of the move away from carbon-based energy. Um, so I think that could lead to a longer-term increase in oil prices. But if we move on to the final slide and look at what we think with regard to foreign exchange markets, well, the one thing I would note here is that we did see a significant uh, improvement in the US dollar heading into the second half of Q2, uh, and that accelerated into the end of the quarter. That makes the sort of forecast that we see here for sterling dollar and euro dollar, dollar more challenging. And also what's made it more challenging is I think that there, there does appear to be um, some pullback in terms of appetite for additional fiscal spend from both the Democrats and Republicans in the US. And that was one of the big factors that we thought would be a dollar negative going into the remainder of this year. Moreover, the, the likes of sterling strength, which was built on a narrative of stronger growth, that's priced in. The prospect of uh, the, the economy beating forecasts for growth be those forecasts by the uh, the Bank of England or the OECD or the International Monetary Fund, I don't think are as, as high as they were. So consequently, I don't think there are any significant fundamental surprises that will be sterling supportive. There's more likely to be fundamental surprises to the top side on Euroland, which makes the Euro dollar forecast more easily achievable in my view, um, or at least the sterling forecast less easily achievable. Questions about whether UK assets markets are still undervalued. I think we are still seeing some significant interest in buying big UK companies, and that could be sterling supportive because a lot of that demand is coming from overseas. Um, and then a further question with regard to the Japanese yen, which has weakened beyond where we saw it weakening previously. Um, so we've revised our forecast up in the short term for that. Will the, the Japanese yen strengthen on the back of the Olympics? Well, given that the Olympics are now going to be a much uh, more uh, downbeat affair, much more low-key affair, I'm not sure that the Japanese yen gets any strength and could actually get some weakness from that. Finally, fears over the emerging markets, like with the Russian ruble and the um, 
South African Rand and the Turkish Lira haven't disappeared. And, uh, and I think they may come back uh, with a vengeance, particularly if we see renewed waves of COVID in these economies. So that's it from me. I'm going to now hand you over to uh, my partner in crime over many, many years, Mr. Piers Leslie, uh, and hopefully he will give you an interesting insight into the technical analysis outlook for the foreign exchange markets and beyond. Piers, over to you. Hi, Neil. Thanks very much. Fascinating stuff as ever. Um, I'm going to look at the markets in a slightly different way. Uh, I look at it just by looking at the price section. So we go to the next slide. We'll see. This is how I look at markets. I just simply look at the price. The price is wrong. It will correct. And what we're trying to see is who's in control of the market. Is it the buyers or sellers? And are there any trends? And if we see there's a trend, we're going to try and see where are the next targets. So there's always an upside target and a downside target. Upside target we call resistance. Downside target support. So and support and resistance switch round. We'll see that many times. So on the next slide, we'll look at how we're going to look on these. We're going to look at them by something called candlestick charts. So where they're red, it means that the session is negative, whether it be, well, they're mainly quarterly charts. So it's negative. It opens at the top of the red square, closes at the bottom. The green one opens at the bottom, closes at the top. So it shows you very quickly who's in control of the market. And that's all it is. Japanese candlesticks, is, it's always a battle. It's always about a battle between the buyers and sellers and who has control. And finally, on the next slide, this is just sort of quick coaching. We're going to look at Fibonacci retracements. So Fibonacci retracements, you'll see the chart has no lines on on one side. And on the other side, we've taken the low to the high and put on some lines. And these are called Fibonacci retracements. We take the low to the high and it plots different retracements back. Now, to myself, the key to our 38.2 percent, because if the market holds that level, then the market is considered itself still intact. So if you're going up and that retraces to 38.2 and moves back higher, expect the trend to continue. If it breaks 38.2, in my experience, it goes down to 61.8 percent. So those are the two we're going to concentrate at the moment. They work very well. We'll see that a few times now. And so if we go to the next slide, the next slide is the first slide we're going to talk about what's happening in the market. This is the dollar index. Everything's driven by the dollar. And on this slide, we can see that we had a large collapse in the dollar strength from 2000 down to 2008. Then the price of the dollar rallied. But where did it stop? It stopped at the 61.8%, these lines we put on retracement. So that's good. We saw it stall there and it fell from the 61.8%. And we saw the dollar weaken all the way down to the 38.2%. There it rallied in uh, 2018-19 and it rallied back up. But where did it stop? It stopped at the 61.8% and it fell off. So what have we come to now? We've just fallen off 61.8% and we've come back down to the bottom line, the 38.2%. Now, for the last three quarters, the market has found that as support for the dollar, and it's bounced off that each time. So last quarter, it went right back down, tested it, and then rallied back up. So at the moment, what you're looking for, and we spoke about this last month's seminar, I was saying, look, there could be a bit of a rally off the 88-90 area, and that's exactly what we got. We got that rally. But where were we looking for resistance? We could see a move up towards 94 and a half. So resistance at the moment, 
dollar should start to struggle if it gets to 94 and a half, 95. If it starts to get above 95, then look for more dollar strength to come. Where does the dollar weakness, if you're looking for dollar weakness to come, where do you need to see break on the dollar index? You need to see it down below 88. Now, I know it's a quarterly chart, so that's a long way, but even if we saw that on a weekly or monthly chart below 88, I think that would be the start of dollar weakness. But at the moment, you're in the range, you're just bouncing off the bottom. So if we look at the next chart, we'll go then to euro dollar and we'll look what has euro dollar done. So on this, I had the price action quarterly since 2008 on this chart. And we can see the large collapse from 2008 to 2017. After that, what has the market done? It did the collapse and it's gone back up. Where has it stalled? Each time euro dollar has got to the 38.2%, it has stalled. And we saw that back in 2017-18, and we saw that again this, this year, last year. So where does spot really need to get above to you think that euro dollar is going higher? You can see that the black dotted line I have on there, 123.37, that's the highest close. And again, that capped the market this year. So the highest close back in 1718, that capped the market for the last few quarters, last three quarters. So while you're below 123 and a half, 125, 126, the market's going to be capped. We saw it try last quarter, it came back down. But it's just sitting on very strong support. Now, the key area for euro dollar is this 116 and a half, 117 area. If it breaks below that 116 and a half, 117, maybe 117.70 area, a weekly or monthly close, that would be the start of further move lower in euro dollar, down towards 114 and a half, maybe 112 and a half. So it's going to be very important to watch that 116 and a half area if you're interested in euro dollar. But, you know, this is where they have to perform. Euro dollar buyers have to start to perform here and push it up or else the risk is a bit lower down. But the problem, I think, for on the dollar is that equity markets seem to be stalling. And when equity markets fall off, you see people want to get into the dollar. They just want to put it somewhere safe. So that might keep the dollar just a bit supported at the moment until we see equity markets clear and going higher again. So the next slide we're going to go to is sterling index. So this is looking at sterling as on an index basis rather than looking against one currency. Now, I put two slides on here, and they both show the same sort of thing. Why is sterling stopping where it's stopping? So this is a quarterly chart, and it shows you can see the collapse down here since 2015 all the way down. Now, the first one, the one you're looking at now, stops on the lowest close, the lowest red body, the lowest close, and we look at the retracements there. And where has sterling stopped? It stopped at the 38.2. So until it breaks above that 38.2 at the 66, you're not going to get huge sterling strengthening. Above that 38.2 is where you start to open up, looking for a move up towards the 61.8%, which is located up in the 69.80 area. So that's one way of looking at it. But then we can look at the next slide, which is a slightly different way of looking at it. We take the high to the low. And I've ignored one spike because that was when the flash crash was and no one's sure of where the actual low was that, that spike. So it's not a good price action. So we take the next one. And on this one, you can see most people seem to be using this chart. Why is that? 
because when you look at it, you can see how many times it has fallen off there. So we've seen the sterling index fall off there eight times. It's been up, tested that 38.2 and fallen off. So it's really good at showing us where sterling needs to get above to strengthen. Now we have got one thing in sterling's favor here is that if you look at the last quarter, it wasn't much a move down and it went back up to close near that top line. So a very small spike on the downside. So it looks like the market is trying to push for this move up through the 38.2 and go for that 61.8, which is again in the, the 69 area. But wait for the confirmation. You need to see it through the 38.2 on this chart and the other chart. And then I think you see a lot of sterling strength come very quickly. So we'll just be keeping an eye on that. Where should we watch to see if sterling index starts to fail? If you get down below 63 and a half on a weekly basis, a sustained weekly basis, then it's lost that potential. It has to be a sudden break higher here. So at the moment, banging on the door to strengthen up sterling, but not quite confirmed. On the next chart here, I've actually put it into a currency and we're going to look at sterling dollar. Again here, I have two charts, sterling dollar. It's a currency I get asked a lot about. It's been very simple up to this stage, sterling dollar. Why is that? Because if you take this quarterly chart and you look at the, the move down that we've had from 2007, 2008, that move down, you can see that the move back up every time the markets rallied, where has it stopped? It stopped at the initial retracement, 23.6. We also said that when support and resistance break, they switch. And here's a good example. You can see the old lows of 2008, 2009. They have now switched from being support to resistance. So there's that black dotted line. So where do you need to sterling dollar to be above to get a decent move up? And you really need to see a quarterly close above 143.25. And then that opens up the 154, which is the 38.2, which should be strong resistance. But at the moment, you've had a couple of spikes. The last two quarters have spiked off that 143.25 area really nicely if you look closely when you get the chart pack sent out. So the spikes on the top suggest maybe sterling dollar might have a bit of a look move lower. And if we look at the next chart, you're going to see this is a, the same quarterly chart, but this time we look at the retracements from 2015 down to the low. Now, if you look there, what's sterling dollar stopping at? the 38.2. So on the smaller set of retracements, 38.2 comes in in the same sort of area. So you need to see a break above that 38.2. And again, we've got that 143.25. That's where you need to break through. But look where 68, 1.8% is, up at 152. So it suggests if you start to clear this 143 and a quarter area, you're looking for a move up towards 152, 154. And in the middle, you have the 50% round about the 145, 146 area will be a sort of pause area. So that sort of tells us on those charts where we should be looking at. But where could the pullbacks, if this does go back lower, where could we see a pullback down to? So the support at the moment is sort of the mid 130s. And I expect any moves down to sort of find good support in the mid 130s. Where, now my wife always tells me I'm getting a lot of things wrong. And she says, you should know when you're wrong. And so where am I wrong on this chart? Always know where you're wrong. Below 129, 131, that's the last support on this chart. If that breaks, 
then I have to change my view on sterling dollar and something has changed and we're not going to see higher sterling dollar. It's the risk reverts back lower. The next chart is euro sterling. So euro sterling to me, we have here what I think is just a simple case of a trend line. We have a trend line going up. And if you look, the last time it bounced off that trend line, it was at the 38.2% retracement and it rallied back up. It's come back down, it's broken that trend line. So I think this is what's called a break. And we can see last quarter, the market rallied up and fell off that trend line. It's called a break and retest of trend line. So I think it's gonna be a break, retest, and then potentially fail at the trend line and go lower. Where do we get confirmation? Euro sterling's going lower. If you get below 84, below 84, and I think you start to see a significant move in euro sterling lower. So at the moment, I think you've probably got 84 as support, and then as resistance on rallies in the 87 and a half, 88 and a half area. Where does euro sterling completely turn around? And this isn't a move lower, it's actually gonna go higher. If you get above 91.05, that's where my thoughts at the moment will change and I'll be wrong. Something's changed, euro sterling's going higher, sterling's weakening a lot. Now, on the last seminar, someone said, can we do oil? So I've put on oil as the next chart. Brent oil, and I think it's quite interesting area. So on the Brent oil chart, we've got this chart and it shows the downtrend since 2008. You're just hitting that downtrend. So I did this chart yesterday. We're coming off that trend line very slightly. But what's significant to me is you've broken the 38.2. So you've broken that 38.2%. So I think overall, I like a move up towards the 61.8, which is at the 97 area for Brent. So while we hold above, probably you might see pullbacks off this trend line, maybe down to the 63, 66 area, maybe at a push 54. But while we're above that 54 level, if we see the break of that trend line hold, then I think we got towards 97. And that's my favorite view at the moment. But it's not quite triggered yet. Anyway, so that's me done. Sorry, it's all been a bit fast. Many slides to go through. There's a disclaimer. I always forget about that, so I'm not quite done. Disclaimer, and that's me done. Thanks very much for listening to the webinar. We hope you found it informative. The next in the series will be available shortly.